Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning, everyone. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Uh, this morning, I have a super guest and a good, good friend, Meredith Angwin, who's a chemist, advocate for nuclear power, consultant, and author. Uh, Meredith, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here, Pat. I always like to talk to you whether we're on a show or not. <laughs> exactly. We've broken bread a few times. We love uh, Meredith and her husband, George, live here in Vermont, and uh, we love hanging out with them. Um, sometimes she comes to Maine to visit, but not this year, eh? Yeah, it didn't. It didn't work out this year. I, I'm I'm sorry about that. I wish I had been able to. Yeah, that's okay. Lobster's good when you're sharing it with friends. Anyway, let me introduce Meredith. She's got quite a background. She's a chemist who has been an advocate for nuclear power for a long time. As a working chemist, she headed projects that lowered pollution and increased reliability on the electric grid. Her work included pollution control for nitrogen oxides and gas-fired combustion turbines and corrosion control in geothermal and nuclear systems. She was one of the first women to be a project manager at the Electric Power Research Institute, where she led projects in renewable and nuclear energy. During the past 10 years, she began to study and take part in grid oversight and governance. Uh, For four years, she served on the coordinating committee for the Consumer Liaison Group associated with ISO New England, her local grid operator. She teaches courses and presents workshops on the electric grid, which is our topic tonight, Vermont's electric grid. Meredith, um, an article was written by a reporter recently that appeared in the Vermont Daily Chronicle, uh, which you were quoted in extensively, and it was entitled, Biden Targeting Gas-Powered Generators is Cruelty, Vermont Power Grid Expert Says, which is you. Um, oh, Mike wrote. Yes. Um, Mike wrote that Vermonters rely on gas-powered generators during power blackouts, such as happened during uh, the lengthy blizzard we had, and last month during July's flooding. Um, Science America reported that government data indicates blackouts nationwide are becoming increasingly common. Can you talk about your concerns about blackouts, especially here in Vermont? That was quite a long sentence to get to the question. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. You gave a lot of background there, so you know that makes my job easier. Oh, there well, you go. The, the problem is that the grid is becoming more fragile. And what do I mean by fragile? I mean that it takes less and less to break it. So, for example, if uh, if you would expect a blackout when something like Hurricane Irene came by, now you can begin to think about a blackout in a day when a, a set of squalls come by. I mean, it's just it's just different. Um, and uh, the reason for that is that we, we have just bought into what I, uh, I call the fatal trifecta. We have uh, too many uh, renewables that start and stop on their schedule. I mean, nobody can command the sun to come out from behind the clouds or the uh, the wind to blow. And then we back those renewables up with, with a natural gas. And that 
turns out to be uh, a good idea, except when you can't get the natural gas for a variety of reasons. Natural gas, unlike like coal or, or oil or uranium, is not stored at the plant. It's, it's delivered just in time through uh, pipelines. And when you have to deliver something just in time, then you have the possibility that delivery can be interrupted. And then people say, well, we'll, 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 uh, we'll, uh, we'll get the third leg is, oh, we'll get things from our neighbors. We'll get, we'll get, uh, we'll get stuff from, uh, you know, Quebec. We'll be, people don't realize that Quebec and, and our neighbors are usually encountering, if we're, we're having a problem because of a weather incident, they're encountering the same weather, right. and their grid operators will quite reasonably take care of their own grid, their home grid first, and they will export less to us, not more. Just because we need it doesn't mean they're going to export more to us. So, uh, yes, I am concerned uh, with, with blackouts, and I'm also concerned with the idea that, that people are, are, are trying to prove, government is trying to prevent ordinary citizens from trying, from taking care of themselves, like, by getting generators. And that that really, uh, really bothers me. Uh, you, you know, citizens trying to take care of themselves should be allowed to take care of themselves. Interesting. That's really um, And you said this was cruel. You used the word cruelty, um, that they're trying to target the gas-powered generators. Um, can you expand just on, on that about why you, why you said well, it, the word cruelty? Well, cruelty is because basically it's it's um, the most vulnerable people uh, are more vulnerable to temperature changes than um, than less vulnerable people. I don't know how to describe it. it yeah, no, if no, you're I understand. Old, if you're an older person or a homebound person, then your your vulnerability to not being able to keep your house warm because you don't have uh, a way to turn the uh, controls on in your furnace is is pretty bad. I mean, most furnaces have uh, electrically run controls. I mean, that's right. what they have. And so, if it, when the uh, as we noticed in Superstorm Uri or Hurricane Uri, I don't know, it was Superstorm Uri in. Um, in Texas, where uh, the power went out for 48 hours and a lot of uh, between 200 and 700 people died of hypothermia and of carbon monoxide poisoning trying to keep their houses warm, it, it is just not right to, uh, you know, to make people not be able to keep their houses warm because you're targeting the generators. I mean, you could argue that what they should really do is buy a generator for everybody, you know, or, or for everybody who has a <laughs> who, who has a vulnerability. Right. Yeah, because they probably can't afford to buy a, a, a generator. They're not exactly cheap. Um, no, they, I know they they're not well. exactly cheap, but you know the yeah. the people. This is this is constantly a theme, in my opinion, with the energy transition. The energy transition works better if you've got a lot of money. I mean, uh, you know, do you want do you want to uh, uh, put a, a solar panels on your house? Do you want to pull out your boiler and 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 put in a heat pump? 
It takes right. money to do that. Right. Isn't that always the truth, right? I always tell my daughter, it's a follow the money. There you go. Yeah. You know, we're talking a lot about the grid, and I'm wondering, um, I certainly, until I met you, didn't really understand what the grid is. Could you, um, we're going to have to take a break in a few minutes, but could you talk about what the grid is and, um, and why, well, why it's so fragile? Okay, I'm going to start by saying the electric grid, which is everything that connects the generators, whatever is generating electricity, with the end users, which is you and me and businesses and so forth, that is the electric grid. Okay, it's all the connections, the connections from the substation at the power plant to uh, the the line leading to your house. And... um, That is also, uh, I'm just going to put in a plug for why it's important. It is the the mother grid or the master grid, whatever you want to call it. Somebody wrote me and said, well, Meredith, you should remember that we also have a a water grid. And I said, yes, and it depends on the electricity grid for pumping. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, And and so basically the electricity grid is, 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 uh, is, is the master grid that keeps us all safe. I mean, really, it keeps us with with warmth in the house, with with uh, uh, um, a, ability to fill our cars. I don't know if you noticed, but the gas pumps and the gas stations run on electricity. <laughs> I mean, it's just really important to keep the food cold in the in the refrigerators at your fruit store. It's just really important. Now, it's becoming more fragile because of many things. I mean, I wrote a book about it, but basically it's the reliability of the grid is no longer prioritized. And when I say prioritized, uh, as far as I can tell, nobody, nobody, the buck stops nowhere. It, it is true. The buck stops nowhere if the, it, the grid goes down, and there's no priority on reliability compared to other issues. And Meredith, you wrote that when blackouts come to the electric grill, grid, grill, huh, grid, there will be <laughs> old, the be old news to the grid insiders because they know it's coming, and only us, the electric consumers, will be surprised. Um, and you also wrote an article um, that sort of compared, when you just mentioned the Texas experience, you sort of warned that Vermont's headed in that direction, that we could be like Texas um, with our experience. So um, can you comment about the grid insiders and why they know, and we're going to find out soon enough? Well, the grid insiders are – the way the grid is operated now uh, – the real veto power on what gets added and what doesn't get added and, and how it's run is um, held by uh, the um, participants committee of NEPOOL, and uh, that group appoints the uh, the managers of our actual hands-on grid operators, which is ISO New England. So I consider that NEPOOL and ISO New England and the and the members of NEPOOL and ISO New England are the insiders. Now, what do I mean by they know? Well, of course they know because um, they basically uh, work toward uh, – <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that they, they – ISO New England tries to keep the grid from being fragile. That's our grid operator. But um, – 
the way the the uh, the grid is set up now with an auction system. Uh, uh, let's say you own a power plant and 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 you're a member of of the participants committee because you own the power plant. Uh, let's say you bid in the power plant to the auction at three cents, and someone else bids it in six cents, and someone else bids in at nine cents. Okay, well. If they need your power plant and the six-cent power plant, they, they do what's called economic dispatch. They start with the lowest price, and if there's still more demand on the grid, they go to the next highest price. Well, if the six-cent power plant is the highest price they need, then that is called setting the clearing price, and you and the six-cent power plant get six cents. Even though you bid three cents, you're getting six cents. Now, let's say there's a lot more demand on the grid, and they have to call in on the nine-cent power plant. Well, then you and the six-cent get the nine cents. So what I'm trying to say is if you own a power plant, you want the grid to be stressed enough to have to call in those expensive plants. And so if you own a power plant, you know that things are looking a lot better when the grid is stressed, a lot better for you. And not, you know, it's a kind of brinksmanship with the, uh, with the, um, with the, with the grid when you get right down to it. So, uh, I, I, I find that the, the auction setup has, um, perverse incentives and, uh, and, 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 and also there are so many different players. Uh, I, I talked about, I saw New England, and I talked about the um, the uh, uh, the Nepool membership and about the auctions, and, and it gets so complicated that when I, I had to write a book because when somebody would ask me something, I couldn't just answer it. I mean, because uh, it, it, the, the situation becomes uh, so complicated. So, for example, I was telling you just now about what's called the energy auctions, which are how many cents per kilowatt hour you bid into the grid, okay? Uh, the, the power plant bids into the grid. But I, I didn't tell you about the uh, um, capacity auctions, which run three years in advance. Uh, so, for example, a capacity auction for 2022 would have been run in uh, 2019. And, and the reason they run it years in advance is that supposedly uh, the capacity auction in, uh, enables uh, well, it enables two things. But the reason it's run in advance is it enables new uh, potential new power plants to take to the bank, literally take it to the bank and say, hey, we cleared in the capacity auction, so as soon as this power plant gets going, we're going to get capacity payments. So that means that we can uh, uh, make good on the loan you give us, so give us a loan. And uh, so they run it in advance to enable uh, new power plants to be built. the other thing that it enables is power plants that don't run all the time. So you remember that um, there are plants that um, that run all the time, and there are plants that run some of the time. And you can, I don't know, 
base load has gotten to be, oh, we don't need base load anymore. Base load is whatever amount of power is required by the grid 24 hours a day. That's the base load. And I've seen, and if you begin looking at different uh, grids, you will see that the base load is between 50 and 70 percent of the power that's on the grid. Now, the other parts, the, uh, the, uh, the other 50 to 30 percent is either load following or peaking. So I keep I'm afraid I'm getting a little confusing here. I I just want to say, imagine you're the power plant that does, you're too expensive to be a base load plant, but you're, you're there for load following and peaking. Are you going to keep your power plant up nicely? You have no idea how much you're going to be called on. Is it going to be hot? Is it going to be cold? Is the price of natural gas going to be high? Is it going to be low? Uh, you You don't know. And so what they do with the capacity payments is that's your your own personal uh or not your own personal your your own business's uh backup which is I know I'm getting at least that much money so I'll keep my plant up that's the point of of that's one of the two points of the capacity auctions now, I want to tell you that not all grids have capacity auctions. Texas famously doesn't have them. And uh, other grids, like the Midwest grid, have capacity auctions only in certain seasons. I mean, the whole thing is very uh, complicated, and and it's just a kludge situation. A kludge is like jury rigging, trying it out, let's add a Band-Aid here, let's add a Band-Aid there. Now, I feel um, comfortable and safe here. It's so confusing, um, and I'm sure our listeners have no idea what goes on beyond when you flick on the, the switch in your house. I mean, this is no wonder there's a little fragility in here. There's some serious room for error. Um, well, yes, but the, 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 the people who actually dispatch the power, the operators in the control room and what's called the balancing authority, those people are fabulous. They do an amazing job when you think an amazing job couldn't be done. And their job keeps getting harder because we have uh, less power plants that are dispatchable. So, for example, if you're running with a lot of wind in a, uh, a place like Texas and the wind dies down, you've got to set some natural gas to, to, to fill in for it. And if you're closing down your natural gas plants, uh, that's not going to be an easy task. Yeah, this, this is so confusing. I was going to skip ahead a little bit in what I was going to ask you because you were mentioning about closing down plants, and you made a comment in an article that just, I put asterisks and, and big things to make sure that I asked you this. Um, Gas-fired plants are being uh, being closed down around, I know, um, um, Indian, was it Indian Point in, uh, in New York? On the Indian Hunter Point was nu- is nuclear. Nuclear plants nuclear, are being oh, closed okay, down. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. But anyway, they're closing down the gas plants, and you said what they're doing is they're being built in poor neighborhoods. I mean, what is that about, Meredith? Well, what it's about is uh, 
there's two possibilities, you know, to look at it. You can look at it as a conspiracy against poor people, or you can look at it as like, oh, we've got to build a power plant. And if we build it in the fancy part of Westchester, we will be sued and there will be interveners and there'll be all kinds of fun. And if we build it in a poor neighborhood, they'll probably say, oh, okay, because they're just too busy staying together to to object to it they they're not the the idea that there's going to be a little more pollution in this poor neighborhood is not at the top of their priority list while if you're in in one of the fancier areas it's of course it's at the top of the priority list you don't want a power plant next door for Pete's sake and so forth so uh, but but what it boils down to is there there comes to be a um it, it, it it's it's kind of a, a a, a bad scene because Indian Point was a power plant in uh, 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 New York. Uh, uh, let's see, it's around the Bear Mountain Bridge, more or less. So I'm trying to figure out uh, the town near it was Buchanan, but it was in Austin. Anyway, it's in Austin. Yeah, that might be it. I, I kept yeah, trying to I... figure out what the biggest town near it is. But the thing is that it was a very um, it was a, a, a plant that employed uh, several hundred people, and uh, it was very quiet. And it didn't make any natural gas pollution. And uh, there were people who absolutely hated it, including, uh, um, uh, let's see, Pete Seeger and uh, right. RFK Jr. and all kinds of people who, who thought it was just the, the worst thing that had ever happened to anybody in 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 New York, uh, and when it closed down, uh, the the town of Buchanan was just devastated because it lost uh, hundreds of jobs. Um, I just remembered Indian Point uh, was in Peekskill, New York. I lived in Ossining, and I lived in a I rented a condo that stuck out in the Hudson River. And I not only did I overlook Sing Sing, which is another whole show, but I looked straight up the river at the Indian Point uh, Energy Center, which they called it. And um, it, was quite the, it was quite the scene. Uh, that plant was huge. Um, but the impact that you're mentioning is just like what happened here in, with the closing of Vermont Yankee. Um, lots of great jobs, uh, lots of specialty jobs, as you're mentioning, that people had to move because they couldn't find a job in their field after the plant closed. Um, and so, what, what was the decision made to close Indian Point? That was that was not an old plant, I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I, it was still in excellent shape, and it had had its uh, inspection by NRC and been extended. The decision was really very uh, political, and and I don't mean that in a good way. I, I mean yeah. that there was a drumbeat of people who were terrified of the plant, and they kept. Um, they kept uh, uh, pressure up to uh, to close it, and one of the ways they did that was um, Indian Point uh, didn't have cooling towers; it it cooled in the Hudson River. Now, many plants cool directly in the river, uh, and uh, of course there is uh, some warming of the river with that, but it, it it as far as I mean, I I, I did a whole article on this at one point, and as far as I could tell from all the actual research on it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't really affect the, uh, 
the flora and fauna of the river particularly. Right. I mean, there are all kinds of things that affect it more, including, uh, you know, hot days or, 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 or spills or all kinds of things. Well, anyway, the, the idea was that Indian Point would have to build uh, cooling towers, but it didn't have room on its site for cooling towers, right. and so it was in an impossible position. And really, they they just said, "Okay, we're, we're the Entergy." Also, was at the time Entergy looked around and said, "You know, we're getting out of the Northeast. We're, we're closing. We are going to sell or 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 um, or 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 close any plant we have here." And that. That I wrote, I wrote an article about that because people thought, oh yeah, they're closing their nuclear plants. No, they they were closing uh, their um, their gas plants, uh, pretty much anything. They had decided that they were going to run in the south where there was still uh, regulation and they could be comfortable with uh, planning. Um, now, some people have said to me, well, Meredith, you you just want monopolies. I said, no, no, I want uh, accountability and. There really isn't accountability in the areas like ISO New England. Um, uh, accountability for whether the lights stay on. I mean, you you wouldn't know who to who to be annoyed at if they 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 say, well, we're having we're having uh, alerts where everybody has to stop using their air conditioner. And oh, and by the way, we're going to have rolling blackouts. You wouldn't know well, who. Who caused this? Uh, there's so many layers of people with their hand in the uh, in in the governance that it's almost impossible to figure out who caused this. How did it happen? How can we prevent it from happening again? Almost impossible. So in the meantime, Indian Point had to close because they they couldn't build cooling towers. Uh, that's the short answer. Yeah, and then uh, was that the. That was after, though, um, uh, Vermont Yankee closed, wasn't it? it was oh, yes, it later. was after Vermont Yankee closed. Yeah, yeah. Because I and, remember uh, we, had the town, we had the town manager um, where Vermont Yankee was, and he was talking about the the impact to the town was just ridiculous. I mean, it was all, all of these people that, that had really good-paying jobs, and um, they lost them, and there wasn't anything... To take the uh, to take the place um, in that area, so a lot of them moved, and it really it really had a devastating impact on the town. That's for sure. Um, and I um, I I was one of those that that was supportive of um, Indian Point. I didn't have an objection to it. I could look at it every day, and um, I was I was comfortable with it. Um, of course, the idea that there's no accountability is a little disturbing. Um, but you're right; it's so complicated. Who do you yell at? Uh, well, you, could, you know, I named the, my book the the shorting the grid, and I named it after the Big Short, and I named it after the Big Short because I felt that there were uh, two very strong parallels between the subprime housing market and um, and what's going on in 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 on on our grids. And in the subprime housing market, if you remember, uh, there were all these uh, derivatives and all these complicated uh, financial uh, derivatives or, or, or uh, obligations. Or, or, or They had all kinds of names. And what it boiled down to, it was very easy 
to hide uh, both uh, fraud and 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 uh, um, and and failure to uh, failure to um, failure to perform properly because the, the you know you'd have to spend uh, months trying to figure it all out and then the other parallel was that um in the subprime housing market they would uh take a mortgage and they would put it in a bundle and then they would the they would rate the whole bundle triple a it's a great mortgage well the mortgage might have been a liar loan they didn't have that is somebody just lied about how much uh um how much they uh they had in the bank or what their salary was. And so the mortgage could have been absolutely useless in terms of the chances that it would ever get repaid, and yet it was rated AAA. And so there are, the parallels with the, the grid are that, first of all, explaining the grid is a huge problem. And secondly, the, this is not investment advice, but if you uh, want to be sure of a, a a power plant that will make money, it should be a renewable power plant, and those are those have a lot of subsidies and they make money and then they undercut the other power plants so the the power plants uh, a, a wind turbine is not as much used to the grid as a, a gas turbine because the wind turbine makes electricity when the wind blows and the gas turbine makes electricity whenever you want it but that doesn't matter it turns out the gas turbine is much more vulnerable to uh, not making money for its owners than a wind turbine is so it's very parallel to the uh, whether the mortgage will pay back or not uh, doesn't matter. Now, I, I don't mean to say that a wind turbine isn't at all useful to the grid, but the it, it isn't the 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 reliable power isn't being uh, paid in any any amount of of, of uh, realization of its reliability. It, it, it reliability doesn't count for nothing. Oh my God! I can listen to you all day. I actually understand it, which gets me. It's like, oh my God, um, this is so complicated. Um, and uh, I, I just I need to go back for one minute because this is really bothering me, Meredith. Aren't people having a fit about gas-fired plants being built in poor neighborhoods? Isn't anybody raising that as a as an issue? I if oh yes, you made oh, yes. There are groups that are just raising that issue. Advanced. There, there, there are groups that are raising it as an issue. The, the poor neighborhoods are called social justice neighborhoods. And when Indian Point was planning to shut down, when, when Indian Point knew it had to shut down, uh, three new gas-fired plants were built in social justice neighborhoods. And wow. people, uh, people objected and so forth. But when you get right down to it, the people in those neighborhoods don't have the political power that people in richer neighborhoods have, and so the gas plants went up. I mean, I'm not saying gas plants are horrible. I'm just saying that, yeah, people have objected, and if you if you read about it, you know. Another thing about the gas-fired plants is you got to give them credit for being simpler to operate, which actually also translates into most of the money that goes into operating them goes into buying fuel, uh, the gas, 
while uh, very comparatively little goes into um, into uh, salaries, which and the salaries, of course, are helpful to the neighborhood, while buying fuel uh, not so helpful. You know, it comes from far away, and it 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 it, uh, it, it pays uh, pipelines and producers. It doesn't pay people next door to the plant. And uh, in 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 uh, nuclear plants, that's pretty much reversed. Their highest uh, uh, expense is uh, is uh, salaries, and fuel is is one of. Uh, I mean, it's still uh, maybe a quarter to a third of of the cost, but that not not like in a gas plant where it's I don't know what percentage of the cost, but well over fifty percent. Wow. Oh, I just, I, uh, it just sounds like something people would really um, try to fight against. But there you go. You've made some great points about why, why they get built and uh, where they're being built. That's pretty sad. Um, and your introduction, Meredith, I mentioned that the last couple of years um, you've been uh, focused on um, uh, projects on renewable and nuclear energy, obviously. Um, but I was just wondering if we're talking about Vermont. There's such a big push. Um, about getting rid of fossil fuels and uh, vesting pensions in fossil fuels, and they're just trying to lessen or eliminate uh, the state's reliance on fossil fuel. How does that, the fossil fuel discussion, fit into um, this energy discussion and what what you're looking at and working on? It's not a renewable energy. Um, I'm just wondering what, um, what you think about the state's uh, movement towards eliminating fossil fuels. I think it it can't be done, and it's basically some serious virtue signaling. I'm sorry. Oh. It, and the trouble with the virtue signaling is it hurts people. So, for example, if, if you say, well, they're going to divest from it in the pensions, well, you know, those right. pensions are not there for the governor, current governor, and the, the pension money is not there for the current governor and the current legislature to make their decisions on on how they're going to appear noble to the to the voters. It, they're there to provide pensions for people who were working for the state or for the um, for the school systems or whatever. And deciding that you're not going to buy in a certain. Uh, uh, a certain sector is it's it's it, it's it's the way it's described is you know you're not doing your fiduciary duty but all of that right. sounds like a very very um that is a very uh highfalutin way to say it. you're not doing the best for the people who are retiring you're not putting them at the highest priority you're putting your own uh, political beliefs and virtue signaling and so forth at the highest priority, and that I, I really, I really get very upset at that. My mother was a school teacher. Uh, unfortunately, she died young, and she she never had a chance to collect her pension. But uh, I mean, her pension was really important to her. I mean, she she did, people don't know they're going to die young. They think, well, okay, if, eventually I'll retire <laughs> forever, and oh. you know, so. Well, I because I Beth Pierce, who is our former treasurer, um, they she refused to to divest from fossil fuels because that was making money for the pension. Just what you're saying. <clears throat> Lately, however, I think there's is a movement to divest, uh, and uh, we we uh, you know a lot of uh, people have been putting up a fight that you're supposed to invest in things that make money for the pension, which is what you're saying, um, Meredith. 
I guess you know Vermont's very big on. Um, uh, oh, good! I just forgot the word um, about renewable energy. And um, uh, what do you think about the path that Vermont's on with renewable energy? And obviously, no interest at all in nuclear, um, which of course um, has a lot of benefit uh, from a clean air perspective. What What do you think about the, where Vermont's going these days? It's going uh, to an expensive and uh, unreliable grid. I mean, the expensive part is because, um, well, renewables need backup, and so uh, it turns out that you know somebody said, "Oh, well, we'll have a we'll have a battery." Well, let's let's imagine a renewable thing, a, a renewable installation and a battery. So here's the renewable installation. We've installed enough renewable so it can take care of peak load. Well, when it's taking care of peak load, it can't be charging the battery. So we have to have another renewable installation, <laughs> which is in charge of charging the battery. So it has to be um, somewhat duplicated. Uh, um, I have seen, and then the third thing is we have to have a battery. So it turns out that you say, oh, well, look at the the wind turbine is very inexpensive. But the system cost of the wind turbine, if you begin looking at another wind turbine to charge the battery, or even if you look at we have to have a a gas-fired plant, which we pay to keep ready because it might be needed, uh, most of the time, however, poor thing, it can't make any money because the wind is blowing, or some of the time it can't make money because the wind is blowing. Anyway, the long and short of it is it gets very expensive and, 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 and fragile. And uh, it's really um, unfortunate that, you, that Vermont is, is heading down that path instead of a nuclear path. Uh, a lot of places are heading down nuclear paths, places you wouldn't expect to uh, be heading down them. Well, and I'm sure uh, they have improved nuclear plants over the years um, because there was lots of concerns about safety. Um, I'm assuming over the years it's just gotten better and better. Um, it's clean. Um, it's there. It's available. So, um, But we're going to fight it, aren't we, if we ever dis- have that discussion? Well, Vermont will fight it for sure because uh, it's part of the uh, Vermont idea that we we live close to the land and we we have uh, a, a, uh, you know, we use only renewable sources of energy. We basically live in in a Garden of Eden where everything comes from the sun or from the wind and 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 uh, unfortunately that that uh, doesn't work out very well in practice and one of the things you can see about it which i find amazingly funny is that there's this whole thing about the way to um the way to prevent people from ha- driving uh, too much is to try to encourage people to settle in in towns rather than out in the country. Well, people don't move to Vermont in the hopes of settling in an apartment building in town. They can do that in many places. They want to be out in nature, and of course that means driving, which either means uh, natu- gasoline or it means you know having a very powerful grid where you can charge your car. 
uh, I mean, the whole thing is so self-inconsistent that um, one of my uh, people I follow on the web, uh, David Blackman, he his he, he his Twitter handle it used to be Twitter X now is Energy Absurdity. I mean, there are just so many self-contradictory parts to this thing that it it's really amusing. And, and another woman I know, a woman I know, Irina Slav, who writes for Oil Price, she she does little uh, YouTube's called uh, Energy Stand Up, where she just uh, puts those absurdities together and it's, and makes it into a, just a riotous little thing. <laughs> That's really funny when you think about it that way. But we don't see that. We like to we like to hear what we're saying here. Um, and so we only have a few minutes left, Meredith. And I wanted to talk about the the book that you wrote that I actually I loved it. I used it. It's called Campaigning for Clean Air: Strategies for Pro Nuclear Advocacy. And everybody's going, oh, um, this has got so much great advice about how to advocate not just specifically for pro-nuclear if you don't want to do that, but I used it um, in campaigns, and it's got it's great read. It's, um, it's just it makes you really think about when you're advocating for something, what to say and what to do and, and how to stay on point. Could you talk about the book, and especially um, you identified a couple of topics that you felt were absolutely critical um, for advocacy, and um, I just love this book. It was an easy read, and it's full of great information. Well, yes, there are two things you have to do. You have to be ready to actually say something in public. Now, saying something in public can be writing a letter to the editor, you understand. You don't actually have to be at a meeting and, and standing up, because, to be honest, some of those meetings can be very intimidating for a pro-nuclear advocate. There's, a, there's often a mob uh, of people who will attempt to shout you down and, and so forth. That's another thing. If you do go to a meeting, uh, go with a friend. Just just be there with somebody who's on your side. It makes a huge emotional difference. And um, I, I I would like to say that it's yeah. advocacy is not a single person's job. It is. At the minimum, a two-person job or a group job, you have to have some people on your side. We are really creatures that grew up in small bands, and the worst thing that could happen to us is being expelled from the band, finding ourselves <laughs> on the other side from everybody else in the band. And so what we, we still, when we're at a meeting and we're the only one on the other side of some issue, that primordial fear comes up, but if you have someone with you, it kind of helps a lot. That's great. Meredith, I I love talking to you. I absolutely love it. You make this very complicated um, subject easy to understand, and so I thank you kindly for being on the show. I'm sure there are folks who would like to come on the show and maybe counter what Meredith has said. You're very welcome to do so if you want to call the studio and um, want to get on the show, let me know. But Meredith Angwin, thank you very much for um, what you do and for all the energy, so to speak, that you um, um, provide to this topic. I really appreciate it. Uh, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint, signing off on WDV. We'll be right back, although, with a wonderful guest, Representative Jonathan Williams.
a Democrat from Washington 3 in Barry, and um, he's going to be surprised about uh, how much we have in common. Thank you. We'll be right back. 